In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Teaching about the parable of the prodigal son usually focuses on the prodigal son, but the parable is equally about the older brother. He was not as happy as his father was to see his brother return. He would have been happier if his father had greeted this younger son with rebuke and some form of punishment. And he has a case. Why is dad so happy? The younger son had squandered a significant portion of the family fortune and had returned home empty-handed looking for a job. The fatted calf for this? Why are we celebrating bad decisions and wastefulness? The parable is about Israel. The older brother represents the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, who had long been faithful while non-observant Jews in Israel had not been faithful, had not honored and obeyed God. These leaders were not happy that Jesus was welcoming this non-observant riffraff into fellowship with him. They did not deserve it. They deserve to be punished for their unfaithfulness, not rewarded. Some of us have been relatively faithful Christians for many years, while non-believers around us have mocked our faith and disobeyed God. How do we respond when these non-believers turn to faith? Do we have joy like the angels in the presence of God over one sinner who repents? Or do we feel like God's favor towards the new Christian somehow takes away from our privileged status as longtime believers? A member of our church once told me the story about a farmer. A farmer planted a field that grew a crop and about harvest time, a friend walked by and, and said to him, that's a fine field the Lord has given you. And the farmer responded, you should have seen it when the Lord had it all by himself. <laughs> the story has some logic to it, but it misses some key points. If the Lord wills, he can plant a field and cause it to grow all by itself. The feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle at Cana make it clear that the Lord does not need a year of human labor to create either crops or to make consumables. The Lord normally allows human beings to participate in the creative process and enjoy the satisfaction of receiving the fruit of our labor. He made us in his image and allows us to participate in his sort of being by being creators, by making things. However, the ability to create is itself a gift. God made the farmer, the field, and the very ability of ground and seed to come together to produce anything. 
as 1 Corinthians says, quote, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it, as if it were not a gift? Trinitarian theology helps us to understand the point here. God is love because God is a loving relationship. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the love that flows between them and out from them into creative activity. God created the world to share his love with it. Love is essentially full and overflowing. It gives and shares because it is its nature. It is not diminished when it gives, for love grows as more people are brought into it. A mother and a father who have a child are not diminished in love by the birth. Rather, there is now a third person brought into the love of the family. That third person will also give and receive love. Love is not a zero-sum game. When we receive the gift of God's love through the Spirit, we are made whole. The emptiness of our sin is replaced with the fullness of God's love. And we will want to pass on this gift. We will take on the nature of God. We will become givers. Having been loved, we will become lovers. In terms of our agricultural analogy, a farmer who plants a field that yields a crop will give thanks to God for all of it. The field, the crop, the very ability to farm for the life itself. And the farmer will be happy to share his knowledge of farming with another. If the farmer teaches a neighbor to farm, and that neighbor's farm produces a crop, the crop of the neighbor will not diminish the crop of the farmer's own field. If I've had the gift of faith for many years, and I share that faith with another, the new faith of the new believer does not diminish my faith or the reward of my faith. As the father said to the older son, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. The father was not planning upon the return of the younger son to take the older son's inheritance and divide it, give it away to the younger son. God does not take his reward away from those who have been faithful in order to give it to those who have not been faithful. There is enough love and reward within the family of God for everyone, for those who have been here for a long time, and there's enough for those who come and are new. Therefore, I should be happy when someone new comes to faith. The love of God is increased. There's a new child in the family, a new member of the body whose gifts will add to the whole. We become the older brother in the parable when we lose touch with grace and our religion becomes a grudging labor. We can hear this sense in the words of the older brother, Lo, these many years have I served you. 
and have never transgressed your commandments at any time, but you never gave me a party that I might be happy with my friends. He viewed his privileged status as slavery, and he lost sight of the glory of his inheritance. We talk in terms of our practice of the faith about living by what we describe as a rule of life. And there are two ways to approach this practice of the faith, a wrong way and a right way. The wrong way highlights the error of the older brother. We can think of rule as rules. I am supposed to pray in this way at these times. I am supposed to fast in certain seasons. I'm supposed to tithe and be generous. When I follow these rules, I become a good Christian. When I follow these rules for many years, I become a super Christian, way better than all those non-believers who don't follow God. Over time, I come to feel like I've worked really hard at this faith, like I deserve my standing. And thus, when a new person comes to faith, I want them to work as hard as I do. I want them to be as miserable in their prayer as I am in mine. (laughs) They have not earned it the way that I have, and they better not sit in my pew. (laughs) Then there is a right way to look at rule. Rule is a pattern of grace. I commit myself to praying in certain ways at certain times to remind me habitually of the grace of God, to draw me back into that grace, the gift of faith I've been given. This helps me to live a joyous and thankful life. I tithe and give for my own good. These practices teach me to put God first, and they keep things from becoming idols. I fast because it is a means of grace that helps me to control my own appetites and to serve God and my neighbor more effectively. After many years of living this way, I am increasingly grateful for God's habitual grace in my life. Why have I been given this gift of faith and grace while so many other people do not know God? And I will always want to share it with others. We'll want others to experience in their prayer what I experience in mine. The first attitude develops when we drag down our practice of prayer from the supernatural into the natural realm. When we change our practice of the faith from an activity of grace into a grudging labor, into a product of the fall. The second attitude develops when we lift up all of life into the kingdom, where, in the words of the bishop who ordained me, quote, all is grace. The wrong attitude is no small error. At the end of the parable of the prodigal son, the older son is outside of the house, which means he is outside of the kingdom. This reflects the way that 
the rejection of grace by the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders left them outside of the new Israel that was forming around the person of Jesus. But it is a self-exile. The father wants the older son to come in and celebrate with the family. It is his own pride and sense of grievance that keeps him outside of the party, of the family. Now he must repent if he is to return, be reconciled. And the story leaves us with a question, will that ever happen? Will the older son see things in a new way and rejoin the family? We guard against the sin of the older brother by continually renewing our experience of grace. God does not want our perfect performance. We cannot earn his gift. God wants our humble, penitent, and trusting hearts. We always come to the altar of God as sinners in need of grace. Christ is always here, always really present here to receive us and renew us and forgive us. He is doing in us what we cannot do by ourselves, no matter how hard we try. It is always and forever grace, no matter how long we've been coming, no matter how long we have been working at it. If we understand and experience this grace, we will welcome others who are seeking grace. In fact, the measure of our own experience of God's grace is the degree to which we desire to share that grace with other people. Do grace and love overflow from our lives into the lives of those around us in the same way that God's Trinitarian love overflows from him to us? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.